going to be at the end of Mark 11. We'll be in Mark 11, 27 through 33. So I invite you to turn there if you would like to follow along with the scripture. There have been a disheartening number of stories in the headlines recently about people getting in trouble for being in places where they have the perfect right to be. Most of these have been due to blatant racism, and people are feeling emboldened to express that racism and live it out. A man was shot in his apartment. Another was followed and repeatedly questioned why he was in the building where he lived. Two young men at Starbucks were told they needed to leave, and when they didn't, the cops were called. A college student eating lunch in the common area of her dorm was surprised when the campus police showed up and asked her what she was doing. A man helping his mother with yard work had a neighbor come over and began calling them awful names and demanding they go back to where they come from because they didn't belong there. Now, we could go on. These are just from these this year. These are just the ones that are recorded on iPhones that have gone viral. I saw an interview with a college student afterwards. The campus police officer was respectful to her. He found no reason why he should have been called. But she broke down in the interview because during the incident she was terrified. She knows what can happen to people of color when they are doing nothing wrong, just eating their lunch at school. Now, it might be argued by the person who instigates the call to the police that they felt unsafe. What if they hadn't called and a real incident had occurred on their watch? But in most of these cases, it is a sense of privilege and entitlement that seems to be the motivating factor, wanting to get rid of someone who they feel doesn't belong, making a point. Have we regressed or have we not progressed like we thought? This week in my study, I just kept thinking about these stories because Jesus is in a similar predicament in the temple this week. He is surrounded by those in charge wanting to know who he thinks he is. They demand to know who told him that he could do the things that he has been doing. And as we read, we think about situations that we might have been part of where that has happened. Because humanity has an intrinsic sinful need to lord power over others. Whole countries have been held captive by those who took power and committed blatant atrocities against other nations and even their own people, where the suffering is grave. And those who are in the throes of such situations have no recourse until they are freed. So as Christians, we acknowledge God's sovereignty over all systems and powers and authority. No one who who leads is able to do so unless God wills it. But when that power is used against those who don't deserve it, we wonder, God, why do you allow this? Where are you? Because sometimes it isn't just, and suffering that ensues seems so unnecessary. So while we grapple with these questions, here is Jesus. Being treated with contempt in the temple. He is literally ruler over all, in charge of everything, but being treated as an outsider who has no right to be there. His story is not going to end well, in the earthly sense. But there are important issues for us to consider from this passage, where we understand that our authority only has real power when we are in sync with God's power. 
To be in sync is to work well together, to be in agreement with. And the story that we read helps us understand what being out of sync with God looks like for leaders and people in any context. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 11, 27 through 33. Again, they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? Answer me. They argued with one another. Oh, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say of human origin? They were afraid of the crowd, for all regarded John as truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus and his disciples have been staying in Bethany and coming into Jerusalem each day. This is their third visit into the city. Jesus is confronted by the temple and the highest ranking leaders of Judaism. There are three groups mentioned. The chief priests are the key officers of the temple who operate just below the high priest. The scribes are the teachers of the law, and they have the job of ensuring every Israelite has knowledge of the law. All religious instruction is in their hands. The elders were a powerful group of older men who had been chosen to lead since the time of Moses because of their wisdom. They are the lay leaders of the day representing the people. Together, these three groups make up the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council. It was made up of 70 members plus the high priest. They are the highest legal body in Judaism. No one is above them. Now remember, thus far, Jesus has talked three times in Mark about what will happen when he and the disciples arrive in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, he tells the disciples that he will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. So what is happening is exactly what Jesus had told them would happen. But we wonder how it feels for those who are traveling with him. This is a very significant encounter, and they may be quite afraid. So we're going to look at three ways these key leaders were out of sync with God and how that propels them to act aggressively in their own interests. I do want to say there are some things here that they get right. They are in charge of protecting the integrity of Judaism. This is their job. They are speaking directly to Jesus, and they are doing it publicly. But in their shadow selves, they are not operating for the best interests of the people or the God they represent, which we know not just from this text, but from all of the Gospels. So first we see how Jesus' very presence threatens them. Had they been more in touch with the Father, they would have had a growing discernment about who Jesus was. It took the disciples a while to figure it out. It takes us a while to figure out, is Jesus the Christ? Is he the one sent from God? Yet these leaders show a distinct lack of openness to the idea that Jesus could have been sent from heaven. Now, to be fair to them, Jesus doesn't make it easy. 
right? He confronts them strongly. He chastises them. He has just trashed the temple, driving out those who had been given the right to be there. His teaching and behavior, though, are not orthodox enough for them. How could he be the one for whom they have waited? It's curious how our expectations can get in the way of knowing God and seeing how he works. Our expectations of who God is comes from many different avenues. But sometimes we put our own expectations and desires on God based on how we think he should be like. And that has more to do with us than it has to do with him. We know how when we script human relationships where we make up who someone is in our lives or who we think they should be, how that can wreck our relationships. To demand that God conform to our image doesn't work. We are not in charge. They come as a group, which has the implied message that with so many people, they must have truth on their side. There is strength in numbers, and their opinion is weighty. But just because a group is united and they are in charge doesn't mean that they're correct. They have the power over him, but because they're so threatened by him, they cannot see what true authority is. They don't address him as rabbi or teacher, which is somewhat disrespectful because he is seen as an established leader. And what is not said communicates sometimes more than what is said. Jesus is sent from God. He comes to point the way to the Father, to affirm his truth, and to point out the ways that we get things wrong. And sometimes when we're living, when we're confronted with how we're living, when he confronts us with how we're not doing his will, sometimes we don't like it. And our inner rebel can rise up And think, you're not the boss of me. Who are you to tell me how to act? Sometimes I think that submission to God is one of the hardest choices we have in life. But this is the story of the people of God. This is the story of people in the world. We don't like being told what to do and how to act. And as Christians, I was thinking, we invite Jesus into our hearts. We invite Jesus to reign in our lives. And sometimes when he challenges us to change, sometimes we treat him as though he has no right to be there. So where is Jesus confronting you today? Does that feel threatening? And how are you responding to him You see, we want to be mindful of God's authority having full reign over us. And when we find our hearts rearing up or our minds rejecting, we have to stop and say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to tell us? Secondly, because these leaders were not in sync with God, they demonstrate that they care more about what they would lose than what they would gain. In the absence of having a new idea or a new vision where an organization should go, leaders can revert to being controlling and micromanaging. These are the brightest leaders, and they come together and they ask the best question that they think Jesus should answer. Who, who approved you to do this? And the subtext is, they did not approve it. 
So Jesus is wanting to bring change to the religious system of the day. He's bringing revolutionary ideas, and people are loving it. Most of us have been in a situation where someone has brought a new idea or a new way to do something, only to have someone say, yeah, that won't work. Oh, yeah, we tried that. No, that was bad. Yeah, no. That actually isn't how we do things. But thanks so much for your input. Sometimes we lack a curiosity about the possibility of what could be. Jesus responds to the questions posed to him with his own question. They may not recognize it, but with this action, he is not only turning the tables on them, but he has taken authority over the situation. He is now dictating what is happening and how things will go, and they inadvertently submit by allowing him to change the terms. He tells them, I'll answer your question. Where is it, though, if you answer my question, where is it that John got his baptism? Was it from heaven, or was it sourced with human ingenuity? You see, with this question, even bringing up John the Baptist, Jesus is answering their question. Because what did John say about Jesus? That he was the Messiah, that he was the long-awaited one, that everyone here better repent because the king is coming. Jesus is answering their question, but they miss it because they're so flustered in their state of trying to figure out how they're going to answer the question. A few weeks ago, Pastor Denny uh, sent me a video that I think he thought would be helpful to me. It was done by a longtime lead pastor of a big church. And this pastor was talking about the greatest thing that church leaders, especially senior pastors, are afraid of. Now, it's not conflict, and it's not where to lead the congregation. It's not about being too busy. They are afraid of loss. Loss when people leave, loss of income, losing face in front of people, losing being recognized as the authority. I would put what I heard in this video this way. Pastors fear losing whatever it is they think is the most relevant piece of church life that shows that they are succeeding as leaders. But as leaders in all contexts, we have to be willing to work through issues. Whatever loss it is that we're afraid of when we're in charge of something, we have to face it. Because we all have to grow. Leaders aren't perfect. We're absolutely flawed and have blind spots. But if leaders are not willing to change, then the whole of what they are leading will suffer. Jesus is giving a chance here for growth, but God demands honesty for those who demand answers from him. You see, there's no deception in the Lord. And sometimes we come to him and we say, Lord, I don't understand this. Man, if I could just ask the Lord one question, I would say, why dot, 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 dot. So we go before him and we say, Lord, help me understand I don't get it. Sometimes we might be even a little bit more demanding. And the Lord says, I'll answer your question, but I need you to answer a question for me. Right? That the Lord wants us to be honest 
with ourselves and with him. And it isn't just about putting him on trial and demanding that he answer our questions, but we ourselves have to face what we fear, what loss it is that we're afraid of, and the Lord will meet us in that place. Those who lie and hide are not given answers. Lastly, because they're not in sync with God, they cared more about the reactions of the people than God himself. Verse 32 says that they were afraid of the crowd. In the first chapter of Mark, uh, he tells us how the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were coming out to be baptized by John. So the leaders know that their people have been greatly influenced by John the Baptist's ministry. So if they say his ministry is not from heaven, then people are going to be disappointed and angry. This is one way we know that they're not operating under the authority of God because they're worried about the crowd. But think about what they're worried about. They're not worried about helping the people grow. The community has responded to the spirit of God. People's lives have been healed and changed and they have been assured of their salvation. But that's not the concern of these leaders. They're concerned that the people are going to be mad, that they're going to lose their positions. And their anxiety about uh, being seen as having the right answer, they don't listen to the wisdom of the people. Leaders always have to listen to the wisdom of those that they lead. Crowds came out to see John. Throngs were following Jesus. The goodness of the Lord was being poured out daily. But these 71 men refused to see the fruit of the Spirit, the changed lives, and the incarnated God in front of them. They've already decided to kill Jesus, and they're looking for a way to do it. When leaders in a church have lost touch with what God is doing, there will be loss of life. Like a body that is sick or barely holding on, it is evident when those who have stopped leading, when they've stopped being teachable to God, this can happen individually or as a whole. And I think, wouldn't it have been amazing if just one, just one leader stood up and said, I think we need to seek God's wisdom in this situation. The outcome would have probably have been the same, but how different parts of this story might have been told. In our lives, we all have to assess where we are looking out for our own selves our own expediency, our own agenda for what we want and how that myopia could be shutting down what God wants to do in us and in our church. If we're more worried about what other people think than what God thinks, then it's time to reassess. One of the best parts of all of this is that Jesus is not afraid to be in trouble for doing God's work or for speaking out. I was thinking that for those today who are questioned and harassed and bullied for being told they are not supposed to be where they have every right to be. My prayer is that they would take strength in knowing that Jesus meets them in that struggle, that he has been there, and that he will help them. And for us as Christians who are living in these days, may we take courage to submit our attitudes to the Lord, asking him what our attitudes should be and where he wants us to be. What are our biases that influence our actions? Would we be willing to stand 
with one who is innocent and defend them against a group? As Christians, we have to grapple with issues of power and authority. And we have the responsibility to stay connected and in sync with the Lord, allowing our lives to flow from his wisdom and truth, because we are people who submit to him. So let us take time to honestly talk with Jesus about what this passage is showing us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.